The following transmission contains unencrypted instances of explicit language. Shall we begin? Smiley is a suspicious person. You won't know who to trust. Let's begin. Welcome back, fellow spy nerds, to the Spies Like Us podcast. That is the podcast where we discuss the representation of tradecraft on screens, large and small. Tonight, with me, as possibly appropriate to the material, I have a rogues gallery of guests, uh, starting with a friend of the show and previous guest host, Lewis Hamilton. Lewis. Hello. Hello. Hi. Uh, We've had you before on Spy Kids and Get Smart. Also with us is... uh, uh, the longest running friendship of my life. Met this motherfucker in kindergarten. Lon Lovett. Hey, what's up? <laughs> yep. Longest running friend. Hey, Todd. Hey, hey, hey. And uh, never been on the show before. I don't know if he's ever even heard the show. Uh, Nate Lovett. Uh, Spawn. Hello. Spawn of the Dark One. <laughs> <laughs> Nate, my son. Yeah. But we're here to talk about the 2016 Star Wars movie, Rogue One. Uh, Rogue One was released between Star Wars Episode 7 and 8, but it's totally out of the timeline. It is uh, the prequel to A New Hope, story of how the Rebels came into possession of the Death Star plans that are at the heart of the original 1977 film. I would say it is a spy movie of sorts, or at least it involves tradecraft adjacent story elements um featured agencies in this all of the tradecraft here is on the part of the rebel alliance uh the empire is there's a character that says there's spies everywhere but we don't actually see any imperial spies in the show let's start with a round table going around i'll keep the same order and start with lewis lewis just tell us uh briefly like your your experience seeing this film I mean, I, I liked it. I mean, I didn't, I'm not a fan of the new Star Wars movies either. I saw like, I don't even like. I'm like you. I don't. I don't deem to call them. I don't try to remember their names. I just call them seven, eight, and nine because I don't even care to <laughs> try to. But I, I didn't like seven, and I saw like I was gonna when I heard the Emperor was gonna be in the nine. I was kind of excited, and then I was watching eight, and about halfway through eight, I was just like, now nah, I'm done. I just didn't, yeah, I just didn't want to keep it, I don't know, I just didn't, I didn't like eight even, uh, even less than seven, and so that just stopped right there, I didn't even want to, and then I heard what they did with the Emperor was kind of lame in nine anyway, but, but I did like, I did, I did remember seeing Rogue One when it came out, and I did, I liked it, it's a a different director, I think, than the other. Did, did you like it enough to watch it multiple times or did you, I know you watched it multiple times for this podcast, but did you wait all the way until this podcast came along to, to yeah, I hadn't it seen it. I hadn't, yeah, I've watched it two more times for this podcast, but I hadn't, no, I hadn't seen it again since, since you told me we were doing this episode. So yeah. So over to line, your first, your first experience, your experience with the film. You, you told me we were doing the podcast. I had actually not, seen it and my son huge star wars fan nate we watched it together and Nerd. it was it was great i was just really taken back by how much it reminded me of the first one 
Like at several points in time, I'm like, dude, all the all the fighting, the fighting between the ships, like the, even the way they use the modeling for the for all the you know the exterior modeling shots and everything reminded me just totally of start of of well what we would what what our what. Well, number four, what we would would have been our first, but and and you guys both like Star Wars in general, or or because I know that I know that your son has uh, taken you on the task of like watching everything all in <laughs> chronological order. Yeah. Have are, have you completed that that task, and how long did it take? Uh, we Nate and I did we did the first three, and then he downloaded. I did four, five, and I don't think I've done. No, I did six. I have not watched the seven, eight, and nine yet. Even though I've seen them, I've seen them before a couple times, I think, but I haven't recently seen them. Right. But again, you're watching everything all the way through. You're watching everything in chronological order, including the TV shows. So did you you manage, did uh, did it manage to line up to where you were able to watch Obi Wan in the right order? Yeah. Nate. Cool. Nate set me straight on how to watch them all, and yeah, I watched them all in the in the right order. Which, which for me, not having known what exactly that all would be, it was really helpful. It was like, oh, okay, like that's how I put Rogue One. I'm like, oh, Rogue One is like Star Wars Episode three point eight. Like it's not quite in the it's not in the main line, but it's they they jimmied that in, you know, right in the sure in the, yeah. Uh, and over to Nate. Um, uh, don't forget to include how old are you specifically? How old were you when this movie came out in 2016? Uh, what do you like? What do you like about the Star Wars universe, and how do you like this movie? Uh, so as of right now, I'm uh, 25 years old. I turned 26 in a month or two. Um, I would have been, let's see, I would have been 19 when this movie came out in theaters. Although I didn't see it until a year after when I was 20. Um, okay. Oh, so you didn't get I, to see it in theater? I did not, unfortunately. No, oh, that's a shame. Yeah, I heard it was uh, a better experience in theater. Um, I I really enjoyed it. I definitely thought it brought a, a exciting element as far as not focusing on space wizards the whole time, right? <laughs> that's true. Uh, that's we get true. to we get to see more involvement with uh, people in the force outside of just uh, for like active force users. I thought that was really enjoyable. I also really enjoyed. Um, as as is the theme of this uh, podcast, the the spy elements that are present within the film as well. Like I, one of one of the scenes I appreciated most in the film was towards the beginning when um, oh, I'm trying to remember the main character's name. Uh, oh, Jin. Uh, not f- not Jin, but the the rebel. It's the rebel in the very beginning. Mill Mill character who's Andor. Uh, kind of, We're gonna call Andor, him Andor. Yeah. His full name is Cassian Andor. Cassian, that's right. Yeah, so when Cassian uh, um, has to shoot the other rebel because he's injured and uh, is a liability for information to the Empire, I thought immediately that set a, a tone that grabbed my interest into the film. Big time, big time. Do you know the TV series is coming? A TV series, really? Oh my god, dude, how do you not oh. know this? Um, that's actually like kind of the reason we're timing this one the way we are. Uh, at the time this episode comes out... This podcast episode, uh, the spinoff TV series Andor, which is going to focus on that character, is going to oh. uh, Although David just told me that actually got pushed back a little. It was going to be right at the beginning of September. Now it's maybe going to be a little later in the month, which is disappointing because I'm really looking forward to it myself. Um, 
I was a massive, like, I, I think I can reasonably claim to have been the most rabid Star Wars fan in my elementary school. I can attest. Yes. Yeah. That is the truth. And that lasted for me for a, for a long time uh, until the prequels came along. They kind of soured me and then some of the other stuff. And after a while, just the shine started to wear off. And although I still respect the movies and, and I still really love this one, uh, I've skipped all the TV stuff. Uh, but I am planning on signing in for Andor. I've been saying for like years, ever since that was announced, I've, I've been saying, I'm done with this universe I will stick around for that show. Todd, uh, you said you said Rogue One was your exception, though. Like when you said uh, you're like I'm not doing Star Wars stuff anymore. You're like, but Rogue One. <laughs> like, like yeah. uh, I'll do that one. All right. So can so I ask? Can I ask Anita a question? Please. Yeah. I just want. I'm just wondering what. So when did you first get into Star Wars, and what what was the first Star Wars that you movie that you saw? Great question. Um. I mean, I, I, the first Star Wars movie I saw, I think, was Episode One when I was younger with my with my dad. He took my brother and I to see it. Um, so the I didn't really one. You mean the one with Jar Jar, like that? Like yeah. just to make sure we don't confuse people, like because some people might think Episode One means Star, Star Wars, but you mean actually oh, in the actual yeah. Episode One, like yeah, the one whatever it was Menace. called, uh... Phantom Menace. Yeah, so that's the, that's the first one that you saw. Yeah, that was the first one I saw. I didn't really get into Star Wars though until. Uh, into my late teens, um, I had met s- uh, several friends in my early college years uh, at 18 who had uh, shown me Star Wars from the episode one, The Phantom Menace, all the way to uh, episode six. Uh, so you experienced them in chronological order, which is not was not possible for us. Yeah, and which correct. ones yeah. do you like? Which do you like the best of this of those of those six? Of those six, my favorite is episode three, purely from a from a nostalgic point of view. Like I, I can acknowledge their cinematic elements in the original trilogy that I feel may be more valuable than some of the some of the poignant scenes we may have seen in like episode like in the Phantom Menace or in the Clone Wars. But uh yeah, episode three, uh, Revenge of the Sith is definitely my favorite, personally. Um, Lewis, what is what is your favorite Star Wars movie or TV show of all time, and why is it Rogue One? <laughs> oh no, it's not. It's not Rogue One. It's, oh. No, I think my favorite. I still think. I, I think it's like an age thing too. Yeah, if you've seen, I. But I'm saying I think Nate is making my argument for me. Like, I always, I always said, <clears throat> if you see, if you just saw Phantom Menace, and you didn't know anything about Star Wars, that I would probably stop. And 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 you you and they did like he did what what I said most people would do because it'd be like this movie's not very good, and it's only like if you know Star Wars that you're like okay I understand but if you just see it on its on its own I don't think that's gonna grab and it, and it didn't it didn't grab Nate either he, like later he came back to it, but my favorite is like I think I'd say is Empire Strikes Back. That's a, that's, we'll, a, that's a very that's a very family feud winning. Uh, choice <laughs> to pick if you're going for survey says you know <laughs> I think I think we we all know that Empire uh, holds that crown I'm gonna jump in real quick and, and give my hot take on Empire I think Empire has uh, some of the best bits out of the entire canon 
Uh, and that's mostly the Falcon getting chased by the Star Destroyer, you know, the asteroid field, the stuff going on on the Falcon with uh, with Han and Leia. I think that shit is amazing. But taken as a whole, I really don't find the Dagobah stuff very rewatchable. I don't even think the, the original attack on Hoth is all that super fantastic compared to, for instance, the space battle at the end of uh, Return of the Jedi. Uh, and and Bespin, the whole Bespin thing leaves me kind of flat. So it's just in rewatchability. That's I mean that's where I land on Empire. Like that, it's it's got parts that are the best of anything out of any of the movies, but it's it's not an entirely consistent movie to me. I like Return of the Jedi the best, and the thing is, I don't like it because I really like. I'm gonna plant my flag on the hill. Like it is the best cinematic like or script or anything i just it's nostalgic for somebody of my age i just thought that was badass the the return of the or the the you know the i thought that, that one was the, i i agree that's a I, super did you guys did you guys so were you guys a little you guys are a little younger than did you guys see star, actual star wars when it came right when it came out dude oh yes oh yes dude my older brother was in his 20s. He was babysitting me. Everybody left. Todd, you know my house had eight kids, all that mess at my house. Dude, he was babysitting me, and I'll never forget. I was a little kid. He goes, hey, um, do you want to you go see a movie? A really cool movie. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember as a kid. Dude, we waited in line in West Covina at the West Cove Theater. At the theater, not the Capri, Todd, but the other one. I think it's called the West Cove. And we waited in line. I actually did. I'm just barely old enough. I was a little kid. I was six, seven years old. Like I actually can say I I, I saw it in the theaters, like with six. with my brother. Yeah, I was like six. eight. Yeah. I'm assuming it came out in the summer, so I would have been Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, actually I have a memory I want to share. It's one of my oldest memories. Um, and it's the only memory I really have of that first film screening because I was so young. I was like six. Um was when Darth Vader showed up. I just think this is this is I've just always reflected on this. This is like kid uh, kid logic kind of story. Darth Vader comes on screen. I know he's a bad guy, right? Even at, like you, you know, he doesn't have to even talk before. Like I'm like, oh, this is a bad guy, and he's breathing. He's breathing like, oh, oh, and I was sitting there trying to figure out like what that was, and I thought. I thought, I think he's saying the name Hooper and Hooper. (laughs) Okay. And Hooper must be a guy that he killed. And he's still like wrestling with that fact or something. That's like, for some reason, you know, kid logic, dude, you know, who knows what kind of connections you're going to make. But that was my, that was my assumption. Uh, But yeah, just funny that. Just funny to think of, like, yeah, the the weird things kids think about. And also the fact that you could just so immediately just know... You could show that movie to a two-year-old, that two-year-old, <laughs> and say, who's the bad guy? Who's the bad guy? The two-year-old is definitely in the know on that. Um, yeah, cool. So Also, I think it's Rogue One definitely been... I think Rogue One is a... It's a decent movie, but I think it it's better because... Like if you just saw Rogue One, same thing, and you hadn't seen Star Wars, like it's not going to be nearly as good. I think I think it's hard to separate that out. Like like how much I enjoy like 
the enjoyment of Rogue One is because it you know brings back the memories of Star Wars and like when you're a little kid, like it's hard to separate that out. But I think it definitely does it does do that because because it goes right up to Star Wars. That didn't it kind of remind you of when you're seeing Star Wars or yeah uh, yeah I'm, I'm I'm with Lon on that. I think this movie uh, of everything that ever followed. I think this movie best captured the spirit of the original in a in a way that I can't really put my finger on, but I share that feeling with Lon. I want to. What did now. you? Yeah. Hold on, Nate. What did you say? You told me when we were watching it, Nate. You said something about the the way that they filmed. Yeah. They did the modeling or stuff. What did? Yeah. What were you saying about that? Yeah, very specifically, there were shots in Rogue One that were you could tell were were specifically. Uh, framed in the sense that it was supposed to mimic the model the the model usage in the ori- uh, original trilogy episodes four through six um such as in the, in the very beginning of the film when we first see one of the empire ships um you could tell that that, that that's done using a model for cert- for that sh- for that initial shot and then mm-hmm. you I mean instead of cg up, you mean instead of cgi you mean yeah i believe so or at least if they did use cgi they they very intentionally framed the scene to mimic that sort of model-esque feel very intentionally did you know that they found while working on this film they found some footage from a new hope that had not made it into a new hope and and modeled some of their scenes on that footage that makes sense yeah yeah can i just Um, say like like right up front like i do want to and I know that this might be overly simplistic, but dude, I finished this movie. I don't know. You guys can tell me if this, if you echo even a little bit of this or if I'm totally off, but I was just like, dude, after 40 years of Steven Spielberg or after George Lucas taking total shit for like the ultimate like plot gaff of like making it like, oh yeah, the one simple thing in the Death Star, like dude, my generation, dude, we were Everybody was all over that. Like after forty years of that shit, he's like, "Listen, I'm about ready to just like knock your socks off and just like shore all that shit up, like right now. Like not only that, it's going to be a blockbuster, and I'm going to tie up like every fucking loose end ever. Like, like I'm going to make this movie like fucking answer like everybody's criticism of like that, you know? Because in my generation, what even comedians used to laugh about that, like, oh, the big death star, and, like one shot, like the whole thing goes down, like God, so lame, like. Like, do you, did you guys see? I just did you see it that I way? Remember, I, just, I don't remember people uh, trashing on on that. Oh, I do. How I, easy? I, I don't. Do. Oh yeah, yeah, it was definitely a joke, like a big running joke. Yeah, um, yeah. Like, but did you, still you guys have to, like, drop the? You still had like a drop a whatever little torpedo right down that shaft. It wasn't like it wasn't. I mean, in the movie, they didn't make it be that easy. You see, there was like all those guns he had to fly through, and they were all like. All the TIE fighters, so it wasn't... I mean, relatively easy for a handful of fighters uh, to, to pull off uh, compared to the defenses that thing uh, should have had, I think. Nate, how did how did you see that as somebody of your generation watching it later in sequential order? We did not do that. How did you, how did you see that later on? Um, uh, what, Rogue One itself, or... Well, I don't yeah, like, as like, like being, like, the answer to kind of, like, to shore all that, like, plot I, stuff up to sort of... What do they call that? Redconning? Redconning? Yeah. yeah. Where they go back and they, they kind of, yeah. like, make sure they kind of tie up all the loose ends and, like, kind of, you know, reweave it back into the lore. Like, Nathan, did you yeah. see it that well, way? Or? 
Well, when I had originally saw the Star Wars movies in the order that I had, I started with episode one. I didn't watch it for many years. Like, I didn't watch episode two or three for many years. And then I think somebody had shown me A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi. And I specifically remember, and then, you know, years later, uh, after high school and college, one of my friends had walked me through all the movies in chronological order. I remember specifically when I when I had seen in A New Hope that there is that um, weakness in the Death Star. My first thought was somebody did that on purpose no shit wow really my my first immediate thought is there is no way a a weapon that nearly the size of a small moon or planet is going to have such a fundamental weakness so deep inside of it that wasn't intentionally placed there by someone involved in the in the creation because there's there's so many different technological facets that would have to go into a feat like that there are so many details that could fall through the cracks so is that is that did lucas have anything to do with i don't i don't know how much i don't i'm not uh, maybe you guys are more up on that how much he had to do with any of the later star wars movies besides the prequels like he yeah, hadn't I, sold he hadn't sold it to disney in 2016 yet had he uh, no i don't think he had he's i mean he's stepped, he's stepped i think down he did director yeah i don't think he had anything to do with seven eight and nine except for like as a consultant i don't think he was i don't think he was in charge anymore no right so by the time one came out he wasn't i don't think he was in charge either no i think i think he was there for consultation as well but you're not in charge sorry so does anybody know if he ever intended it that way veto rights kind of thing that was they just wrote this afterwards like so i'm saying there's no there's no i've never heard any is have you guys heard that he didn't when he made Star Wars, he didn't intend, he didn't no have way. that, like, this plot. This, this is something where they wrote after the fact and explained it. No way. way. No, it, was 20, it was 2012, Lon, that the that the sale was made. Uh, so that left them oh, free. Oh, is it that long ago? That was, Oh, that was, I, I missed that. Okay. That left them free to craft everything that came after. And again, like, that was a big part of the deal, as far as I remember, is like, yeah, George, we'd love to have you at the table, but... We can't we can't give you like you know like a, a v, you know like the fam the broccoli family that owns the James Bond uh, uh, yeah. franchise they own the character like they have veto right they don't like actually produce the films or anything but they have like ultimate cut uh, you know say so of up or down on any of the plot elements but George Lucas nope. doesn't have that. Lewis brings up a good point, Nate. Like Nate might have different, but. Do we think George Lucas in the beginning when he made Star Wars like purposely was like yeah okay yeah there like that no way there's so, no uh, way he planned yeah. that so like I, Nate, uh, did you see couple, it that George Lucas planned it that way so a couple things to add real quick um the idea for Rogue One was pitched before Disney even bought Lucasfilms. The the I think one of the one of the people who had originally written the story for for Rogue One before it entered the screenplay stages. Yeah, I think um, it had, it had rattled around for a while as a concept. Yeah, but but I don't think Lucas in the beginning really cared about that. To be frank, I don't I don't think if, from what I understood, he didn't originally foresee this going beyond the original trilogy, and so those sort of details were just left to the imagination. But let me to put a button on that uh, real quick. It is a fact that George Lucas absolutely loves this movie. Uh, I I'm not sure yeah. how. He- I'm not sure how he rates all of his in in his favorite order. Actually, I would love to read that listicle, uh, but he's a hundred percent on board this one. So yeah, was- because it made his ass look good, like he was some master <laughs> planner, like he did all this shit on purpose. Like, yep, that's how I intended it. Like, no, like 
No, that is not the case. I'm hoping that the TV series is going to be even more of a spy story. Uh, And some of my hopes are bolstered very much by the fact that uh, Tony Gilroy is the showrunner uh, on that. Uh, He co-wrote this film. He is the writer of the uh, original Bond films. Or Bourne, Bourne, Jason Bourne. Bourne. Oh, really? So right there, there's your proof, you know, or there's strong evidence for my case if I need to argue it with someone that this is a spy movie, that they they went and and picked that guy to come in and be the co-writer of this. Oh, okay. Um, Okay. They already have a second season of that uh, Andor series planned as well. And uh, between two seasons, (laughs) 24 episodes... It's going gonna, it's gonna to be interesting, too, because the plan is it's going to cover five years of history. Uh, so, you know, they're going to, you know, like in 24 episodes, that could be like you could talk about events that happened over the course of like, I don't know, two, six months or something. But they're actually going to be moving through time. And that whole 24 episodes is going to lead up to the events of Rogue One. Uh, oh, so, so, get, so get that's whole, where it fits in. So we'll get a whole five years of stuff that happened between the last prequel movie and Rogue One. We'll get five oh. years of, of uh, whatchamacallit, um, not data, but f- fan stuff. There's a word for it. Lore! Lore! lore. We'll get five lore. years of lore yeah. uh, for that, um, which sounds sounds cool to me. Um, this movie did not, this is the first movie that didn't start with the infamous text crawl. You know, it was a it was a time of darkness, and the Rebel Alliance was. You know what I'm talking about? That text crawl. Well, yeah, yeah but that is right in the exposition with Galen Erso, which is say really that again. Yeah. Instead, it jumps right into the exposition of with Galen Erso. Mm, okay. Well, it's um, also not an episode. It's like they can't. They always have. You know, it's not. It's not one of the. They're not calling it a, you know, it's not one through nine. So that's, right. they, didn't, that, that's... they didn't call it 3.5. <laughs> they should have. More like 3.8 or nine. <laughs> um, but one thing I liked was uh, that the final, or at least the, the story goes that, you know, because they went back and forth. Should this movie have a crawl? Like all the Star Wars movies up till now, they've all had a crawl. How are you going to make a Star Wars movie without a crawl? And finally, someone someone was like, hey, Guys, um, this entire, the plot of this movie is the crawl from episode four. So if we, if we put a crawl on this movie, doesn't that mean we also like, couldn't we open up this Pandora's box of Russian nesting dolls where then we would have to do a movie based on that crawl? (laughs) Right? Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. I mean, they are doing the Andor show. So in the sense, they're still kind of doing that. Yeah, yeah, you guys. Yeah. Just a technical thing. Do you guys see Todd? I see Todd as as uh, blurry sometimes. Like his video is. I don't know if you yeah, guys. Todd, see it. Todd, you're really blurry. I tell I you, maybe maybe just. I tell you, you, you will or... not. Sure, uh, not anything I can do about that. I hope it's not a big issue for you. Trust me, no. that is not the video quality that's being recorded by Zencaster. Zencaster will be fine. But oh, thanks for mentioning. Just so you know, Nate. Sorry if we if we stomp on you a little bit because we can't see you, so we can't see your gestures of like when you're kind of like trying to talk. No, so, it's okay. I just figured when when my input was desired, they would we would, we would have a discussion. Yeah, I'll keep um, I'll keep bringing it around to you. Uh, I want to mention the director next. 
Um, I think it's nuts how short this guy's resume is. This is his. All right, Lon, Lewis, Nate. Unless Nate knows, if anyone knows the answer, don't say. Uh, do you think this is this guy's third film, his sixth film, or his twelfth film? Well, I mean, you already kind of told. I don't. I don't yeah. Okay. Keep, all right. All right. All right. Yeah, it's yeah, his yeah. fucking dude. It's his third feature film. Um, really? Yeah. He also did the 2014 Godzilla. So he had like this one film got some people's attention. They said, "We'll give him Godzilla." Saw what he could do with the budget, and then gave him this, which seems nuts to me. But I mean, I I I love the results. I love the directing in this film. He hasn't done anything since. I found some some movies that I've really liked in the past. I've been movies that have been directed by very one-off directors that haven't been super. Big it, hap- in the it happens. Yeah, it happens sometimes. But he does have a, a new project that's in the works. It's uh, currently in post-production. It's another science fiction film called True Love. That's scheduled for release in 2023. Next up, I want to talk about the look of the battles in this film. And I want to tell you this. Um, They went and took old pictures from World War II and Vietnam. And they photoshopped rebel helmets and rebel uniforms on into the into the pictures and went to the, you know, uh, production staff and said this, this is what we want. Like all this like warfare stuff um, like they. Knowing that there are scenes in this film, there are shots in this film, like when the lander's coming in and the troops are disembarking, that like just feels so good and so meaty and militarily authentic. And finding out that that's how they, you know, like started the process really warmed my heart. And I really think it comes out in the cake. That is crazy that you would say that. That is so crazy because specifically when we were sitting there watching it, specifically that thought process ran through my mind. I'm like, dang, this looks like battle footage. Like this this looks like, like you said, it looks like real, like not Star Wars-y. Like it looked like real military battle footage. I you thought are, that specifically. You are, you're actually looking at shots that are just like, like remade out, like directly out of pictures from World War II in Vietnam. Nice. That's awesome, cool. right? Nate, did uh, you think that too when you watched it? Yeah, I mean, it definitely, especially towards the end scene when, when the Empire's uh, trying trying to stop them from getting the plans and, and they're, um, they're, they're sending troops all down to the, to the planet, right? And yeah, it definitely had that, that real raw battleground feel to it. Definitely distinctly more than other Star Wars films. For sure. Yeah, I want to. I want to even quote uh, James Snedden, who wrote this for uh, a military news website, Task and Purpose. Uh, this is a guy with 21 years of service in the Navy, and I'm going to start the quote now. I don't know if they used military veterans as consultants, but Rogue One manages to exude military authenticity. The spacecraft rattle annoyingly. Places where hands would naturally grab or gear would rub have the paint worn off. Cockpit windows are scratched, and if the sunlight hits them wrong, they're hard to see through. Headphones get hung on a convenient grab rail and not on the hanger that was designed for them, if there even was a hanger. 
Apparently, designers of military vehicles in galaxies far, far away have also never actually operated them in the field. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, cast. Cast was next for me. Um, the new people, I, you know, and this is, I'll just, like, we don't have to go roundtable on each individual person, and I'll just take anyone that raises their hand. Anybody want to uh, say anything about our character Andor? Yeah, I really like Andor's character. I think he does a good job of showing both the necessity for subtlety and spycraft within war, and also he serves as a good reflection of a theme that we see throughout the movie, which is the 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 more negative consequences of prolonged uh, uh, grand warfare. Like somebody somebody who's been engaged with warfare for a predominant part of their lives, and at this point is is basically someone who's crafted almost their their whole identity is crafted around being able to operate within that sort of atmosphere perfectly. Right. And, and talking about like the things he's had to do uh, in, in the face of the cause and how that, that haunts him. And, you know, and I really, I'm with you, Nate too. Like, I love the fact that he mur- straight up murders that one dude uh, to oh, yeah. shut him up uh, <laughs> because I don't know. It's just like, I feel like like the there's a set of Star Wars character archetypes that kind of start getting repeated, like in the newer films. Like everyone says, like, oh, okay, so this is the new Luke, and this is the new Han Solo, and this is the, yeah. but like Andor feels to me like a legitimately new character archetype, and so does well, so does Jim. In a way, yeah. I I'm super excited to see his his thing and to see some more K two K two so. Yeah, K2SO. Yeah, I, I really agree with you there. I think what, what we're really noticing is he's three-dimensional. In Star Wars, a lot of times we get these heroes, these villains, these these struggles that are internal. But at the end of the day, we kn- we know that Luke's going to choose to go to the light side of the Force, right? But then with, with, with Cassie and Andor, we see exactly that. This character that, with good intentions, still does some you know, some, some hard, some hard stuff that people would be like, Oh, that's still bad. It's a three dimensional character that I, that, that really draws. Right. You know, talking about it though, it does, it does remind me that we are getting a little bit of a mirrored situation with Jin as like, you know, that she uh, is starting out as the, you know, who gives a fuck? What has the rebellion ever done for me? It's not so bad if you don't look up and she's gotta be, you know, come along to making that same kind of choice that like Han Solo makes at the end of A New Hope. Um, not that she's a Han Solo type character, but I I just really respect them for re- not trying to make another Han Solo because there is no other Han Solo. There's <laughs> you don't even try it. <laughs> yeah, uh, but but Andor kind of like fits the mm, the rough and ruggedness kind of and a little bit tinge of a of a dark side and a dark past but without even trying to get into Harrison Ford's lane at all he's he's carving his own path 100% 100% approval from me 100% approval also for Jim uh Felicity Jones just really fun to look at um, my favorite character from wrong was was definitely true um the force sensitive blind monk oh he's so funny. Oh, okay yeah, yeah that, I like yeah I like that guy that, I think that I think that, That'll, that'll be my favorite character too. He's, he's yeah, amazing. amazing. Yeah, uh, they they wanted Jet Li, or I, I'm not sure how far that went. Uh, they but there was a there was a time where it was gonna it was gonna be Jet Li maybe for that role. 
Yeah, I think Donnie Yen did a spectacular job. And on top of that, it's just really incredible seeing a, a, a character um, move, move their way through the Star Wars universe with a, with a connectivity to the Force that's not an active manipulation or use of it, right? It's just a, a sort of like giving themselves up to it and trying to, trying to just attune themselves to what the living Force can offer them. Yeah, Nate had to explain that to me when we watched that. I didn't, I didn't get the fact like, and that was a big thing Nate kind of clued me in on is the fact that the, the whole thing with the force and what were you saying, Nate, the whole thing with the force that he, he wasn't a Jedi. Like I, again, I'm not as fanny as you guys are, but like you always in the movies, you're so used to seeing like Jedi rule everything. And like the force is Jedi. Like I kind of always made those two things synonymous like the force is Jedi. Like I kind of just no, there's no Jedi around at that point, except for right. like, except for Obi Wan and and Yoda. Right? They're all got by then. They're all were all exterminated in Episode Three, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, if you yeah. count Ahsoka Tano, she's still around in the galaxy as well. Oh, okay, I didn't put that as much together, and then Nate was like, that's "Yeah, there's who, people." Who is Saul? Who is who is wait, the other wait, 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 wait. Let me let me ask the question this way: Is that come from expanded material? Because I also have never gotten a chance to ask Nate if he's into like, you know, uh, stuff that's outside of the movie theater. Yeah, I I've watched uh, I've watched the Star Wars Clone Wars animated television show because it provides a massive amount of lore for everything leading up to Episode Three, as well as providing a lot more justification as to you know, the path that leads Anakin inevitably to become this fascist Darth Vader, right? And that's that's the Jendi Tartakovsky animated series, right? The the 2008 TV television series on Cartoon Network that ran for seven seasons. Okay, yeah, that's the one. That's the one. But yeah, with, with the expanded material, you learn that there, uh, Anakin himself had had an apprentice, uh, even though he was never a Jedi Master, he was given an apprentice uh, who also struggled with... Uh, temptations of the dark side of the force along certain points and the clone wars definitely provides a lot of justification and build up towards anakin's uh descent into the dark side and eventual manipulation by palpatine um but what were you saying again about there was more than more jedi that survived than just because in the episode three they 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 make it they (laughs) seem to imply that it's just um yoda and obi-wan are the only ones that survive yeah um but you're saying Ahsoka there's somebody Ta- else? Yeah, well, te- technically Ahsoka Tano leaves the Jedi Order shortly before Order 66 happens. So she's not recognized as a Jedi anymore, so they, they don't hunt her down. But she is still a, she's still fully trained in the Jedi arts. And yeah, she's she's present in the Mandalorian television series. They, they have a live-action uh, actress play her. Oh, okay. So she was like, what, almost, almost a Jedi? Like, kind of? Well, she was, yeah, she was, she was trained by Anakin Skywalker and Obi-Wan Kenobi, uh, along with other Jedi masters in, in how to use the force, uh, formally. Uh, although she was towards the end of the Clone Wars series, uh, there was a, there is a, a Sith spy within the Jedi order that ends up framing Ahsoka Tano for murder. Um, she is, they, with the help of Anakin and Obi-Wan, they prove that she's innocent, but the fact that the Jedi Order almost executes her for it pushes her to leave the Jedi Order shortly before Order 66 is uh, commenced. And so because she leaves the Order, she's not classified as a Jedi anymore, but she still has all the all the bells and whistles training that any other, you know, 
hardened Jedi would have. Mm. And and mm. she does she does stay under the radar for, uh, from what I understand, episode four, five, and six until she eventually resurfaces around the time of the Mandalorian television series. And when is that? Where is that exactly in the overall timeline? The Mandalorian. Um, I think the Mandalorian takes place after. I believe it takes place after episode six, right? Yeah, I thought. Yeah, right after, right? Like, like just right after Return of the Jedi, the Mandalorian. I thought that was a little. No, I thought it was. Am I mixing up something? There was one where it's like there's a little baby Yoda, and he's yeah. like, "Oh no, I'm sorry, I'm thinking of, of Boba Fett. Sorry, never mind." Isn't I'm that, isn't that, that the Mandalorian, the one with yeah. the baby Yoda? And yeah, that's the Mandalorian. Actually, so that has to be then. That has to be like it takes place five years after Return of the Jedi. Yeah, we definitely have Nate that, as. How a, can that be if it's an, baby? If it's baby Yoda, doesn't it have to take place before even the prequels? That would well, oh, I don't. No, but I don't it's, think it's that's Yoda. Literally Yoda's it's baby. Not, that's not Yoda. We just call him Baby Yoda because. He's oh, I thought it was supposed to be actual Baby Yoda. Oh, it's no, not. It's, it's just the third. It's the third member of Yoda's species that we've ever seen on screen before. Um, oh, okay. I, okay, I was confused. I thought it was time. actually Yoda. Yeah, I think its name is formally Grogu. What? That's not really Yoda. <laughs> I'm with Lou. Everybody calls everybody's so locked in on calling a baby Yoda. I just Yoda, Yoda's 425 years old when we see him in Empire. So like that would that would set that. Well, unless well, I don't know what the life cycle is of them. Maybe they live for like 420. <laughs> maybe it's like you know it's an alien. It might be like a baby for 400 years, and then all of a sudden it's it just fucking sprouts. Uh, ear fuzz <laughs> and gets all wrinkly <laughs> and dies a minute later. <laughs> That'd be an interesting way to live your life. Just be a baby. Just be a baby for four hundred years, and then and then and then all of a sudden you're like an old, a fucking crippled old man for a year, and then you're. <laughs> interestingly enough if i recall correctly i think yoda dies at 900 years of age uh in episode five um and i think i think the members of his species do spend i think the first like uh what would be a lifespan for us just as in their in their infancy still all right star wars facts you heard it you heard it here <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, but yeah, but he flows with the force. He doesn't control it. That's what I think is the big difference between him and a Jedi. He just Definitely. he just follow he just follows the path. Uh, he's he's attuned to it, so he knows what the next step is to take. But he doesn't uh, command it. He doesn't bring the force into being, or or you know, raise the dead or shoot lightning bolts. He believes it's going to protect. He believes the force is going to protect him. Well, I, I don't think he believes the force is going to. Protect him more than I think. He, I think he believes just giving himself up to the will of the living force will will steer him where he needs to go, regardless of whether that's dead or alive. Right. Yeah, and his friend, that, uh, his yeah, friend learns that true. lesson after after he dies. His friend takes takes that up and and tries the same thing and says like, "Oh yeah, that works until it doesn't." His character definitely fits with the archetype of obviously they were shooting for, in my opinion, a Buddhist sort of slant on that. Buddhism is like the same. Buddhism is not about controlling or taking it's going with. That's definitely like a very Buddhist Zen kind of like 
attitude of like going with things, going with the energy than rather than trying to control something. Yeah. It's, it's very much in tune with the principles of the Jedi because the Jedi are more about, um, you know, be, being attuned to the will of the living force rather than trying to do what the Sith do and like basically just manhandle the force into doing whatever you command it to do. Right. Um, I, you know, I want to move on from, from, from that dude, but this is a good time to say like one of my single favorite moments in the, in the movie is when he uh, shoots down the TIE fighter on that, on that rainy planet and it's the it's the flourish of how he takes out his hand and like breathes on it. You know what? I, do you guys remember that? Like I do. Uh, to, to, warm, to warm it up. Uh, that also felt like so maybe back to the military thing of like, you know, a sniper might do that exact kind of thing in a cold situation to uh, increase the blood flow into your fingers to make sure that they're going to react like, like just exactly how you want them to fucking masterful. But which, where, where, when does this scene happen? What, what? It's about in the middle of the movie when, uh, when they're attacking the base where, uh, Jin's father is Galen, Galen yeah. or so. And the, the X-wings are coming in to attack the base and so some TIE fighters come out to fight the X-Wings, and all of a sudden we find out his staff, his walking stick, is also a fucking sniper blaster fucking piece of shit. But that was dope. That was dope. Yeah, yeah that scene on Idu was was masterfully done. And honestly, I really I really liked how, uh, also when, you know, uh, they're, they're going to, uh, I think it's Krennic, comes to talk to Galen about the fact that he suspects that Galen has messed with the design of the Death Star or that he suspects Galen's betrayed them somehow. Mm-hmm. And then he proceeds to kill all of the workers that work with Galen. Like that's very that's very military war esque too. Like in wartime, if you want to get if you want to get someone to break, you kill the people they care for, right? And Galen cares. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm I'm a I'm a thumbs up on the threat. I don't think you want to kill those guys because on a on a Death Star, like on a complex system that big, like something's going to go wrong. Like something's going to need to be fixed at some point. Like, and you just killed all the people that know how to fix it. That was kind of <laughs> dumb. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Uh, no one's, no one's going to bring up K2. So, so other than just mentioning that he's got some good lines and oh, I love I K2. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, and absolutely uh would never have guessed who the actor of that was i don't know if you guys are familiar with the show firefly yes mm-hmm. yeah i've seen the movie i mean i've seen yeah okay cool. i haven't seen the show but could you, could you guess if you don't already know could you guess which cast member of firefly is doing the voice of k2 so oh definitely uh is it alan i feel like i'm gonna butcher his name alan tuddick yeah that's right yeah He's on Doom Patrol as well. I've seen him in several okay. things. His voice is. But distinct. which character is he on Firefly? He's the pilot. He's the pilot that's married to the Marine. He's, he's on Doom Patrol, mate. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the blonde guy. The blonde is he blonde yep. with a yep. Yep. Go- that's goatee? Him. That's him. Yep. Um, recurring roles, I guess I don't really have anything to say about that. I, I think I could bring up Mon Mothma and Jimmy Smith's characters later in the tradecraft discussion. Now I'd like to ask what, and uh, let's go round table again, starting with Lewis. Lewis, there's two 
uh, controversial CGI characters showing up in this movie posthumously. You know, of course, who I'm talking about. Yeah, I don't. I don't think. I'm not a big. How did they land I think the, the the Grand Moff Tarkin looks more realistic. You can still tell, but the the Princess Leia one is pretty. That that one's pretty bad. I think. I, I think. I don't think that's even like. See, I I can live with the Grand Moff Tarkin one, but yeah, the Leia ones just seems really like unnatural. So I he think has, they'd be better off I mean, if they just had like audio. Like you don't have to see her. Like they could just had audio of her saying a new hope or something or take something from star Wars audio. I don't, I don't know why they did. I don't know why they did it that way. Tarkin does have the benefit of being shot in dim light, you know, on the bridge of his death star. Whereas, uh, Leia is shot in like the bright lights of the blockade runner. Lon, your thoughts. How did you, how did these CGI characters land with you? Mm, I agree with Lou. Like Leia, I, I don't agree with the fact that you didn't have to show Like she's that crux of the whole movie is like her handing over the plant like of course you have to show her her face did look a tad like a melting candle but like you know i whatever i think everybody gives that a pass knowing that she died and all that like i kind of figure people would just be like yeah okay like we'll we'll give it that like you know a little bit more of like forgiving on on that is that i forgot the name i don't know the name of that other character you're talking about but but like for her like yeah but what did you think mate um, I, 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 I agree with, uh, Todd Grand Moff Tarkin was in a dimmer lighted setting. So I think it was easier to ingest that CGI scene. Um, as well as the fact that Grand Moff Tarkin has appeared in some of the animated content suits too. So there's a little bit more, um, familiarity oh, so with seeing some, him in that sort of, Oh, wow. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. But with Leia, however, I do think they shouldn't have had CGI Leia. I think a more artistically, tasteful way to handle that would have been maybe maybe when the plans are getting handed off they would have shown a hand that is implied to be leia's hand grabbing the talking. she could be facing away from the camera yeah that's what i'm saying it's audio could have been audio yeah still give that line that's that's a thought i don't agree she has to be seen i I don't see why that as long as you know it's but but yeah I think they could have handled that without, even without her appearance and just maybe showing Vader walking through the ship after maybe her hand grabs the plans. Because I, I really liked how they were tracking Vader's presence there more than trying to focus on the literal beginning of episode four scenes that we've already seen at this point. Because it, mm. it, it goes and walks seamlessly into the beginning of episode four, right? Yeah, which is crazy cool. In my, that's, a, that's a thing I really like about this movie too is just yeah. how like, this is like, this is like a minute before the next movie starts. <laughs> uh, did you did you did you know did you know that the scene at the end where Darth Vader slaughters those rebels, they added that they shot and added that two and a half months before the movie went into theaters. Last minute, last minute as fuck. No, I thought that was pretty no. cool. That was one of the cooler things about about the movie i think that yeah that you never saw of course in real in the actual star wars that they yeah that was cool they just showed how powerful he is and all that it sounds impossible right lon like that sounds like that sounds like you know hey can we get some sources on this but uh dude two and a half months in movie time is like 
that's nothing. Like you can two and a half months, but like in the scheme of like having to make a movie and release it for a big behemoth studio like Disney with all the CG with all the everything that needs to be approved. Oh my god. I, I'm very shocked to hear that that was added in so late, particularly because that scene is almost what bordered this movie into becoming my primary favorite Star Wars movie. This one is my second favorite, and it, and it's very close run to Revenge of the Sith. And that scene with Vader is what is part of why that is. Like it really emphasizes that Vader's not just a bad guy; he's terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do we all know the film Akira? It was like that scene was very similar to the very similar to I think. I haven't seen that in a long time, but I, I, you know, when I was younger, I watched it a bunch of times. But there's that scene. I think Tetsuo is escaping from a research facility or something, going down yep, a corridor in the, in the corridor, and then he, yeah, he uses telekinesis and starts slaughtering all the men. Yeah, it very much has that has that same sort of uh, transition. I have not yeah. seen Akira. I don't know what that is. Also, it is my job to make random uh, tangents, so. I have to say, like, who, which which Marvel movie does this most remind people of? I don't right. even have an idea my, myself in my head. <laughs> all right. Let's go around the table. Lon. I hate First, all Marvel movies. I'm done with that question. Go ahead. Oh, you're not, <laughs> not, into, not into the Marvel? I am absolutely not a fan whatsoever. Like, I haven't <laughs> seen, like, two-thirds of them. Nate keeps telling me, you have to watch Endgame at least so you just, like, know. So the zeitgeist, like, you know the conversation. Like, it was just a couple weeks ago that I'm like, wait a minute, Iron Man dies? <laughs> Nate's like, Dad, Dad, like, yes, did you not know that? <laughs> like, how did you not get that? <laughs> well, it's, it's, Nate, it's Nate and Lewis versus Todd and Lon on that, on that <laughs> yeah. issue. Uh, I have so far, I, okay, I'm not saying, I'm not refusing to see Endgame. What I think Endgame is like, is like a Hot Pocket. Uh <laughs> I've never Okay, stay with me. Stay with me. I've never eaten a hot pocket. I know they exist. I don't have anything like I'm not making like a stand against hot pockets. I just have no I just have no interest. Like if a hot pocket was like the only thing in the fridge, I'd be like, "Yeah, all right. Let's fucking eat a hot pocket." If Endgame was like the only movie that I could watch, you know, and I wanted to watch a movie, I'd be like, yeah, no, no problem. But as long as there's other shit in the fridge, that hot pocket is, and, and there are like a couple in the fridge. They've been there for like 10 years. I don't I mean, even know. Infinity War is, I, is a better movie than Endgame. I'll definitely say, but the Endgame's still a very, very good movie, I think. So, I, but I mean, I, I can under, I think I can understand what, what I, we were talking about that for you. You are, is it because you just kind of know, they're just going to redo everything that ha- redo what happened in Infinity War, and so it just kind of doesn't. Well, see, I do. I love Infinity War so much, and I do love the ending. Uh, and I, I just, I really kind of don't want it unraveled. I want that to be the end. That like half of the fucking Avengers just got murdered, and that's a fact. <laughs> I think. Uh... I think a, 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 a Marvel movie that I would say this this Rogue One movie reminds me most of is Logan, uh, the Wolverine movie. That's actually a Marvel Studios enterprise, and it, it oh, I meant I meant M- I meant MCU though. I have to re re. Oh come on, come on, Lewis, come on, Lewis. But I guess oh, we'll allow it. 
but I really, yeah, I really, I'm all about the MCU. But I get, but I guess if it if it does remind you of Logan, that's okay too. That's gonna yeah. come. That's gonna come soon. They're they're gonna fold the X Men in soon. I think. Why does it remind you of that, Nate? Yeah. Uh, mainly just because uh, none of the MCU actually has uh, the level of grittiness that Rogue One has, and Rogue One doesn't isn't even that gritty. Most of the MCU is very like bubbly. Like it, it's very like, I I don't know. It's not. It's very rounded around the edges, you know. It's not rough around the edges. Rogue One definitely dips more into like, like, like we were just talking earlier about how the opening scene Andor just offs one of his allies because he's too injured to, and he's a liability, right? That immediately establishes a grittier tone than most of like the Marvel MCU stuff that I've seen. However, with Logan, Logan also starts out in a very gritty tone, like he's he's an alcohol. <laughs> You know, he's he's hung over from alcohol and then proceeds to kill a bunch of dudes there trying to jack his limo, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll the characters go... are not are are gritty. I think the characters in the MCU are a lot of them are gritty, but they don't but they don't present that like you know that that Black Widow has his dark past, and you know about yeah you know, when he becomes Ronin, but the but they don't actually like you know yeah, they, they don't, don't appear they don't really that present... way. And how they're acting on that. It's more, yeah, it's a little more moderate. Little is more that what you're saying? And like, yeah, exactly. Like that, but they are like gritty characters. They just aren't, they just don't, yeah, they're not, they don't show that as much the depressing. Yeah. Like they just well, tell I, you that they've had this past and then. Yeah. And actually now that, now that you mentioned it, I guess there is a, an MC an MCU movie, a, a new one that comes to mind as far as a little bit more gritty goes, uh, Dr. Strange two into the multiverse of madness. There's definitely some more intense elements. Like Wanda goes on a genocidal rampage and murders people in different universes. I would say that one might also come kind of closer to the, the more. The yeah. More I was thinking that when you were saying that, that one is, that one's more gritty. If I was going to say the word gritty for anything, I would I would throw like DC movies are more gritty than. I'll go with uh, my answer to Lewis's question. I'll go with Winter Soldier. Uh, Winter Soldier, um, you know, in the same way that this movie doesn't have the space wizards, uh, Winter Soldier it's one of my favorite MCU movies where it doesn't have like the nukes, you know, like like Thor and and Iron Man and 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 the Hulk. And we get to spend some more time uh, watching some of the lower-leveled uh, metahumans uh, do their stuff, and and uh, I think it's fantastic, and and just has a good plot, and probably I would say like I think Winter Soldier might be the most spy movie-ish of the MCU movies, in addition to uh, being the most akin to Rogue One. Also, you know, uh, works with uh, a few uh, dark. Dark, darker themes. Yeah, that's, that's uh, yeah. true. That's a that's a good one, Todd. Yeah, I think oh. I, I think I'd have to agree with you on the second thought there, because I, 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 I did, totally forgot about that one. I definitely think if any Marvel discussion comes up in this, it's like yes, definitely Lou and Nathan <laughs> versus Todd and I. Nathan has probably seen as maybe not as many as Lou, because Lou, you're a rabbit fan, but Nathan would give you a good run for your money. He's Nathan. You've seen most of them, haven't you? Most of what? Marvel movies. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I've seen all of the MCU content up to this point, save some of the Disney Plus series that you could just Wikipedia plot because they're low quality. Cool. I'm, oh, I'm that's, down for that's where I would, I, I would have to disagree with you, though, on that. I think you should definitely, just as, a, as our final thought about, of Mar- like the actually, I think the 
if you're really into Marvel, the the Disney shows are actually very are actually excellent, especially oh. like Loki and. Uh, yeah, no, I, I like most of the Disney shows. There's only a, a couple of them that I think uh, are not are not as necessarily interesting or engaging as like Loki is. But I mean, I think they're I think they're they're good though. If you're a really big fan, they just adds yeah. it just adds to the, adds the love of the movies. I think so. I, I would definitely say give give all those shows a chance because I think they're all really good. Yeah, let's especially go Loki. Rogue, let's let's take let's take it back to Rogue One. My next topic that I want to tackle is how much I love uh okay well it's weird but the name of the film Rogue One now when you first saw the trailer or when you first heard there's a Rogue One movie coming out you're thinking I mean unless you're lawn and kind of you know uh don't really remember (laughs) the shit but like Rogue Squadron there's always like a Rogue Squadron in the Star Wars movies and they seem to be like the premier squadron they're like the they're the they're the tip of the spear of the rebellion, you know, first in, last out, Rogue Squadron. So when you hear they're making a movie called Rogue One, my first thought was like, oh, they're going to make a movie about Wedge Antilles. Um, Lewis, Lon, do I need Nate to explain to you who Wedge is? I don't, remember them, I don't remember Rogue Squadrons. I just remember, like, I always remember, like, gold, blue, no, blue leader, yeah. gold leader, but there's... there's there's a rogue squadron too. I, I guess I just, I just don't, didn't remember just that think, from the. I just think we all need more porkins. Like, <laughs> well, you can't have any more porkins. You want the porkins? You want the porkins prelude story? I'm down, dude. I would watch that. I would watch that. I can't see him. I can't see him. Um, but. So I was thinking it would be a, a story about Wedge Antilles and like Wedge is like a really weird character that like s- deep Star Wars nerds are kind of obsessed with because uh, he's the only pilot that um, participates in all three battles of the f- the first three movies that came out. Because um, cause Luke is, you know, doing something else in... Uh, Return of the Jedi, etc. So I thought it was going to be about like that that squadron. It was going to be about X wing pilots. But what it turns out to be is, you know, when the when the um, I don't know his name, but the defected Imperial pilot here is scrambling to think of a name. Bodhi, Bodhi Rook. For, yeah, for his code sign, and he just comes up with Rogue One out of the blue. This is also something that just. I mean, this really just fills my heart. It fills my heart is the way that um, because they thought of that name, Rogue One, and because everyone was dithering on the fence, again, like I said, like in the later movies, Rogue Squadron is always the first in. Um, the reason they named themselves Rogue Squadron was in honor of this ship. Because this ship actually started the rebellion, you know, like up until now in the movie, like they're just kind of talking about having a rebellion. They're just kind of sneaking around. They're fomenting. They're, they're, uh, you know, gathering information. They're, uh, it's a, like a, an insurgency group, but they haven't actually taken the fight to the empire. I would say like right now they kind of have an alliance, but they don't actually have a rebellion. Rogue One 
And this mission and this movie is about the beginning of the fight, the beginning of the war. And taking that into the lore of the later movies when they don't, and they never have to say it expressly. And I hope I'm not just reading this into it because if I am, you know, whatever. But uh, I love the fact it's called Rogue One because it makes... To me, it makes it makes sense that like every other member of Rogue Squadron in the later movies, they're using that as their call sign in honor of the first ship to fucking take a poke at the Empire directly. Hmm. That's cool. I don't know. Yeah, that's a good. I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I didn't know I, that. I think that's a really nice, like, wonderful way to tie in Rogue Rogue One's meaning into the into the future Star Wars films for sure. Uh, I also think you know it's it's Rogue One's the first ship that actually starts meaningful action against the Empire, right? Because we've seen you know Andor, Cassian Andor implies that they the rebels have been fighting for a bit to try and figure out ways to get back at the Empire, but this is really the first the first instance where oh we actually have something we could do against the Empire that will actually weaken them, not just like not just try and you know tip the balance of the scales of us versus them slightly, but actually something big that can. That can really make a difference, right? These that guys all, are these sense. guys are tired. They're tired. You know, uh, he describes them as you know the ones that actually go on the mission as uh, you know spies and assassins, and they're tired of nibbling around the edges. They're tired of compromise. They wanna they wanna take a swing. They want to punch definitely- the empire in the nose. Yeah, and there's definitely this 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 feeling uh, before they even leave to the to the planet to get the Death Star plans that they know they're not coming back from this. Oh, when right. do you think that is? Um, I I I part of me kind of thinks it's it's when they initially uh, land on the planet, like pretty soon after they land and things mm-hmm. start going wrong. Like most of the crew realizes very quickly, um, in in varying degree, but within a pretty quick time interval of each other like that this mission's never this mission was never getting off this planet like this getting here and just doing what they need to do here was was their mission right they're all tired they've all been fighting for a long time they all they all just want to do something that will make shit change right well he does say uh andor the the cassian guy does say to the to bodhi he does say like you gotta stay here so you can get us off of here so i guess it seems like he still has some some hope. Some thought that or that that they had some hope, or maybe just wanted to put that out there for the rest of the of the crew. Or but but he, I remember he does specifically say that to him, like you stay here, so we because you're our, you're a way off out of here, off of this place. Yeah. Do you, do you remember that scene? Oh yeah, no, I remember that. Uh, part of me also wonders if he if he wanted them to stay there, knowing that they that they might need someone else to help relay the plans to the Death Star. Like perhaps he knew they might need somebody close by the ship to help take action. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's true. I'm ready. Good I'm ready to. Uh, there's a certain point in the regular show uh, where we go into the briefing room. We start actually talking about details of tradecraft. There's one last thing I want to talk about, uh, and then anything else you guys want to say uh, before we go there, which is, uh, I think this is also just visually the most beautiful hands down in in terms of the starscapes in terms of like that initial scene 
of like seeing these rings in shadow of the planet and and not quite knowing like what what it is you're looking at um the sense of scale this director absolutely has a mastery of um the language of scale which is you know like like to make small things look small and big things look big like that this death star is in your face in a way that the uh the original new hope one really never was in in comparison uh when we get to see the scale of the death star destroyers against the death star and then we get the the scenes on jetta where we get to see the scale of the human figures against the star destroyers to me it really communicates the tininess and the fragility of the good guys against the bad guys. Oh, totally. When we were watching it, and I had I will reference Nate kind of guides me through a lot of that stuff. When we were watching it, Nate literally pointed out what you just said, Todd, about the Star Destroyers. I think he even we even paused it. He goes, Look. He's like, look at exactly how big that is compared to those little <laughs> those little tiny things like right there. Like Definitely that scene with the Star Destroyers, like you could, you're right. Like the sense of scale was definitely like established in spades. Like, like, okay. Like just so everyone's on the same page with how (laughs) big and badass this is compared to these guys, you know, like I didn't really get that until I looked. It helps you feel invested in the story, you know, as far as like, it's, it's neat to, 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 Star Wars didn't do that. Didn't do that as much. Oh, yeah, I, I think never I... knew that's a cool. That's a cool little. Fa- yeah, that's a very cool factoid. I didn't know that's how, how it was able to destroy the. Yeah, the interestingly enough, uh, in Rogue One, they even mentioned. I think when they're, I believe it might be when they're on Jedha, they mentioned that they're there to farm and mine Kyber crystals for the Death Star. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I think I think they're mining them from a Forder Jedi temple on on Jedha. In fact, I think um, I think the scene that my dad was referencing that I pointed out uh, with reference to your scale. Your, your mastery of scale on the director's part earlier is when they're walking through Jeddah and then they zoom out and you see this big fallen over remain of a huge statue of a Jedi in the desert in right. the background. And keep, I mean, keep in mind his, his second film, his previous film was Godzilla and a mastery yeah. of scale is essential uh, to understand, you know, in the language of, of directing and, and, and framing things. If you're going to make a Godzilla movie, you need to understand scale. Obviously. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, uh, an interesting thing about the spy craft in the film, and I love how they lead in with it, with that scene with casting and or immediately setting the tone that like, Oh, this is dealing with the more human, the more human interaction side of the rebellion, not just the, the Jedi's making the big pushes. Right. Um, one element that really, that really highlights that spy craft to me, is is the the scenes with Saw Guerrero and kind of how he handles people, right? You see that he's he's been involved in war for a long time. Fun fun fact, I think he's I, I believe Saw Guerrero may be in some of the animated television series content as well. Um, at some point, I may be I may be wrong on that, but if, if I feel like he that, has to end up being a factor in the TV show that we're about to see. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely would be around the casting Andor years for sure. Um, probably less of a maniac by, at that point, but yeah, he just just uh, just how he handles that that uh, Bodhi when he defects from the Empire, right? Bodhi comes to him and he's like, "I carry a message from Galen Erso," and immediately he's like, "Oh, okay, <laughs> let's uh, 
let's just see exactly what information you have. And he, and he interrogates him. That's, that's very much a spy move. Like, oh, there's an agent from the enemy? Well, we're not going to trust a single thing they say, and we're going to strap them down and pull information out of them by whatever means we think is more fit. Right. This is a good time to mention, too, that, uh, uh, you know, in a science fiction spy movie, you could have access to things like psychic powers, you know, that, uh, and, and in this case, it's some kind of like gross brain sucking creature. Yeah, that can, a, I guess, a something like your Right. <laughs> yeah. um, so uh, that's, that's one thing I definitely noted as something that you can, you can do or need to consider if you're a spy in a science fiction story that there might be creatures out there with psychic powers. I talked a lot about this in Total Recall where the, like the target of the Hauser character was a nest of mutants uh, that could read your thoughts. And so that was like, that's why he had to create the whole, uh, you know, wipe his memories was the only way that he could successfully infiltrate. I don't know if you've seen Total Recall. Yeah, I remember uh, that. I'd have to rewatch it. It's been many years. Um, uh, and also just uh, another another interesting, uh, you know, fit in with the theme of of how prolonged warfare can tend to drive people into more darker considerations yeah, of what they're yeah. going to do. Much like Cassian Andor who spends his whole life leading up to this point and has gotten to the point where he's fine killing allies just on the triviality that they might be liabilities for information, right? Hundred percent. Like the the par- the paranoia, the wilderness. The have you ever heard this this term? The wilderness of mirrors. Yes. Yeah, that. Where have I heard that before? Yeah. That's that's what uh, that's what some spies refer to the Cold War uh, espionage game as. You know, of just everywhere you look, you do not know who's playing what game. Um, yeah. And yeah, I profoundly like the fact that there's like schisms. In the Alliance, there's like some hardcores and that's how it does. That's how it goes in an insurgency too, for real. You know, like, right. There's some people that are just going to like, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. More willing yeah. to do just the, as a, the as a side note, why do you think he, why do you think he just gives up and doesn't want to like travel with them and just stays there to, as the, you know, as the Jeddah city is being like leveled? Why, why do you think he just wants to stay there instead of just going with them? He he, hundred like percent stays there because he he knows that what Jin told him is right. Like he, I think he has a moment of clarity towards the end where he realizes, like, wait, I'm like, I'm not what I started this out as. Like he realizes, like the rest of the rebellion sees him as a monster, and uh, considers him an extremist even compared to the Empire. Like I think he realizes that it's time to let what the rebellion's turning into with this path towards getting the Death Star plans is like the better way forward for them rather than him still being a part of that. Also on a, on a practical concern, he can't, he can't run fast on that robot leg. <laughs> I mean, there's no, way, there's, no way, there's no way he would make it to the ship. Oh yeah. And, and he, he knows that he's just going to slow her down. Her message is more important than his life is, is another answer to that question. I think it's a better answer. Yeah. Well, no, I but no, I like yours too because I think it also has to be something philosophical in him, uh, or at least that was intended. By the way, great another another fucking great performance by the great Forrest Whitaker. Love to oh, see yeah. him every time. Yeah, absolutely. Like him, like him. Yeah. 
so I'll just start running down a list. I pretty much am going to do this in chronological order. And this is where, like, you guys just need to interrupt me anytime you you, you want to comment. Um, you know, uh, Galen and his wife and his daughter, like, they went into hiding and they made a boogie plan. You know, they made plans uh, for what to do if found, plus spy points for that. Say that again, Todd? Uh, well, the fact that they... Okay, so they went into hiding from the Empire, but they knew they might eventually be found. So when they when that shuttle first shows up at the beginning of the movie... They're they're all they're like okay it's happened everyone like do your thing you know it's like if your fam you know they talk about like your family should have a, a plan for what happens in an earthquake or something like they have a like plan. a spy would have a go but they, bag, but they didn't right? but they didn't yeah we, we don't really see what like their exact a, plan like, was though right I like to call it a the, boogie bag but that's just my personal term we, like when you but need we don't really boogie. see what the we don't really find out what the plan was though because the because the wife didn't. You know, she didn't follow it. Whatever the plan was, was definitely not her coming up there and, and trying to stop. You're right, stop Lewis. Them. You're right. So, uh, but they, yeah, mean, they did have a plan, but we don't. Yeah, we don't. I guess we'll never know what it what it actually was. Yeah, I think. Well, I think the wife was probably supposed to follow the daughter, and Galen was gonna stall. You know, like you know, just a proud daddy. Well, I don't want to say a lion because lions actually are uh, not that. Uh, good at protecting their families, uh, but there's got to be some kind of animal, or at least humans. Like we, we like to think that, like, okay, the dad's gonna sacrifice himself, make sure his daughter and wife get away. But yeah, she definitely went on, went off script on that one. Um, I got some plus spy points for Krennic. This is just a little blip, but it's cool. Uh, you know, he says like, "Hey, but farming," and and Galen's like, "It's a peaceful life." And Krennic says, lonely, though. That's a nice little dig. A little subtle dig of, like, where's your... He doesn't want to say out loud, like, where's your family? But just saying, like, must be lonely. Uh, yeah, I think... Uh, good for me. I think I think that was, that was Krennic's way of uh, kind of implying that they, they knew right from the get-go that he was still with his family. Like, I don't think they had any... Uh, I don't think they had any other thought that that their family was going to be anywhere else but with Galen. Yeah, well, I mean, I disagree. I think that I think that Krennic uh, is not sure there's a family that he can leverage, but just saying this in this way of like must be lonely is a way to get a response out of Galen, and Galen gives the response like, "Oh, my wife died years ago," and he says like, "Ah, you know, you're a genius, but you're a terrible liar." Uh, you know, he just wanted to put him in a position of of making a statement about it so he could tell if he was lying or not. Uh, but we could agree to disagree on that for sure. Uh, we already gave some uh, uh, planning plus spy points for planting the flaw into the Death Star. I mean, I had to consider that at the end of this show. I'm going to be giving my best and worst. Uh, this one, I don't think it quite made my final list. Doing the what uh, were you saying again? Doing the what about the Death Star? Just Galen putting that final flaw into the Death Star. That's actually oh. some good. That's some good thinking on his part. In addition to servicing the the story of the movie quite well, right? Good retconning. 
<laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Interestingly enough, I think it's worth noting like a uh, bonus points for him for uh, particularly naming the Death Star plans after his nickname for his daughter, which was interestingly enough, a, a name that that easily mixed in with other code names for Empire plans that could have been in that vault, right? Like Darksaber, Moondust, right? Like, oh, anybody could just look past that, except she immediately is like, that's what he called me. Very nice. Let's get that plus five points. Stardust, Stardust well. right? Stardust. Yeah, yeah, Stardust. Not, yeah, Stardust, I think. Not not Moon. Yeah, I think it was Star, Stardust, right? Yeah, that's, that's right. But is it, so I'm trying to really think really quickly. So I, I think then, because we're saying like, how come the it was so easy in Star Wars to hit? But I think, doesn't it make it, in, in the, this movie, doesn't it make it clear that they don't figure out what's right? I think if, I, if I'm trying to remember correctly, that Krennic never really figures out what the flaw they put in there, right? And so he does, and so that means he, none of the top people know what the flaw is, right? The, he, the, I, I don't think he uh, he does, right? They they only I, tell the other rebel people that it's you know we get right. reactor, but he never. They well, suspect it, right? They think there is a line where they, where they say, right? There's a line where they say, well, if this is, it doesn't even matter if they know stuff about the Death Star. We, we still, they still can't stop us. Some, some, uh, some like officer says that, but I don't think they know what the team, flaw, team. flaw is, though, right? No, so they then don't. That means in Star Wars, they don't know what it is either. So how would they defend against it? Because they've destroyed the plans, right? Right. Lewis, like they never, they never say that they know that Galen planted a flaw and that they're trying to figure out what it is. They're just at every level: Moff Tarkin, Darth Vader, even the Emperor, who's like off screen in this case. Like they're just like, dude, if this project has been compromised in any way, we need to fucking figure that shit out. But they don't. They they just feel like it's been compromised somehow. Uh, because they know that the pilot defected, and it's weird that they know that the pilot defected and and not know that there's a Galen connection. Possibly minus spy points on the story for that one. Um, and or no, I think they do know that, right? They do say that he was sent. Oh, no, you, no, they just say he was sent from. Oh, that's true. They don't know it's a direct Galen. They know it was a connection from the facility, but there's. Not, they didn't... No- there's no inkling in this movie at all. Like, okay, I'm just playing Team Team Red. And by the way, when I always talk about, like, good guys are Team Blue, t- bad guys are Team Red. It's just a fucking Halo thing. Um, there's, I never get any information about why the Empire is so worried about this one Imperial pilot's defection or have any idea that he might have defected with some valuable information other than maybe the fact that, okay, so because the pilot knew that Galen was on Nate, can you name the planet for me? Okay. Anyways, that one rainy planet, but they say Uh, it was from the, the, he was dispatched. They did say that he was dispatched from the, from the research facility. So they do, they do. Right. But they don't know who. So they, so they know do he know might. They, they do know it's got something dude, to do with. He could. I mean, if I'm Team Red, I could look at that situation and think maybe he just defected because he decided the Empire sucks. I don't. I don't have any information to go on to to think that he knows something special about the Death Star, unless 
if I knew, but if I knew that he had some special information about the Death Star, which he does, uh, then I would have to know or suspect that he got it from Galen. And there's no uh, evidence in the movie that supports me as well, they do. They right. say that he, right? They say that he was dispatched from that research facility, right? They said that they're the ones that. I, I think there's more that needs to be added. Just just a, one more piece of perspective that needs to be added to Let's this go. team, Red. Um, Krennic. Krennic per, had a personal relationship with Galen before the the all this happened, and I think Krennic was the one who had instigated the suspicion of like, oh, this pilot that was stationed with Galen's research facility that he had kept, you know, presumably a close eye on since he's the one that came and fished Galen back into the Empire, right? Making sure he doesn't defect himself. He probably was immediately suspicious if someone defected from Galen's research facility that Galen was possibly involved, especially given So you think the, when the, he lines up the soldiers, he probably already, uh, lines up the engineers, he probably already knows that uh, Galen is his suspect. Yeah, I buy no, that. I, I buy that. I yeah, I 100% think that's the case, and I I think huh. I think uh, Krennic's suspicion towards Galen is what the other people in the Empire start picking up. Okay. I'm um, just saying it's possible they just thought that that you could just think well, but they're just being thorough. You could you could just think oh they they just gave information that there is a Death Star and not not any details about it that that's possible too right but they're so they're so hyper tuned about making sure this is a secret weapon they want to unleash this uh as a surprise that again like i said like you know multiple times people say when he talks to darth vader especially you know like any any chance that this project has been compromised uh will land on your door and will land fucking hard and you need to fix it Yep. I'm gonna I'm gonna move on uh to when we first see Andor on screen, his movement is with way too much intensity. Like his whole posture and the way he whips his head around and is looking around, like he looks like someone that uh is being is being sought out. Uh he's not being subtle at all. Uh I like it story-wise for the way like visually movie making language it's telling me a little bit about who this character is this is not how you move through a crowd if you want to avoid notice <laughs> it's just not like he if you go back and look at his introductory scene like anybody would be looking at that guy and saying like what's his deal um there's a lot of uh in in what we consider as good spy movies uh, a big thing about um, you know moving through crowds and public spaces, and and counter counter surveillance and checking to see if you've been uh, if you're being tailed, you use reflections a lot, like windows, store windows, uh, you know, sunglass mirrors, like anything you got, so that you can like see without looking like you're looking in a certain direction. That's very difficult to do in the kind of like super industrial uh, uh, production value of the Star Wars universe. Like there's not a lot of Macy's or Nordstrom's, you know, <laughs> you, know you know what I mean? In, in Star Wars, like it's all just like fucking like super, super future punk kind of metal and steam and. Um, yeah. Not a highly reflective environment. 
<laughs> yeah, he never tries to. I, not, not that that's a good point. I never. I, ne- I don't think there's any scene where Cassian is ever, if I can think of, where he's trying to like be stealthy. Really, that's not just that's he's, not really part of his. He's definitely not being stealthy in that initial scene. But again, like storytelling wise, this is good story, uh, visual storytelling because it drags our attention to the, it drags the audience's eye to the character in a way that makes sense for the story and for the story that they want to tell. It just doesn't make sense for him to behave that way if he was an actual spy in real life. I mean, I get the only thing, I mean, at the very end, what they, what they dress, yeah, they have to dress, they dress up as the Imperial people, you know, at the, when they, just to get into the facility. So that, that part, but that's not really stealthy. He just says a disguise on, they're not like sneaking around or anything. I got I got thoughts on this one. If you want to make me jump ahead, likewise. Uh, I think I think Andor looks like shit in an Imperial officer uniform. Uh, I've never seen an unshaven Imperial officer in any of the other movies. Uh, he doesn't look like he fits in. I think an Imperial officer as a disguise is a shitty one because Imperial officers are going to know each other. Um, you know what they do, like they go in, like you say, like Andor goes in disguised as an Imperial officer. She goes in disguised as whatever the fuck that is with the two things on the back that makes it look like she's going to be some kind of cyber ninja or something. And K2, they're probably so- not officers, right? They're probably not officers because why would because they, they capture them when they when they storm the they storm into the ship, right? So that, that wouldn't be an officer doing that. that those right, it was low level. No, it was, it was, they're using, there was, there was an Imperial officer, uh, the, the weird ninja black armor shit. And here, this is what I'm trying to point out. A couple of stormtroopers. Now, if I'm going to infiltrate an Imperial facility and I have the choice of, three disguises I could choose to look like an Imperial officer or I could look like whatever this fucking black again I have I no idea what that's a sergeant it's a sergeant's uniform okay all right is that the Imperial officer you're talking about like no you know, so, um, no so that I, I think um Cassian's disguised as just a normal like low tier imperial officer, whereas um, I think Jin is. Yeah, so none of them are high level, so they they would be able to blend in, maybe. I. What is Jin's disguise? Who I'm the pretty fuck is sure that? she's disguised as a sergeant, as a, like a sergeant. Okay. Okay. Um, and then if I have those three choices, and my third choice is stormtrooper uniform, you know what? I'm going stormtrooper every fucking time. Because those motherfuckers are invisible. Like, yeah, but so no, but many... how are you going to get into the? But they have to be able to get up to the the okay, okay, the okay. archive place. And how is All a stormtrooper right. going to be like blending and just like walking? Like, why would it, that? That's why that wouldn't work. He's not going to just walk into the facility and and why would that one stormtrooper? Be, why would the they don't right? I like. I, mean, I, I guess like they the, could. They could. They I could do I, it I prefer. I prefer to look like a couple stormtroopers escorting an imperial droid. I do. I think stormtroopers are so ubiquitous that they're virtually invisible. Nobody questions them. Nobody stops them and saying, like, where are you going? Like, they're just fucking stormtroopers. And I think uh, that's my that's that's my little bit of gripe. 
But let me also just finish that off is I think that one reason they didn't do that is because that'd be too much like what they did in A New Hope when Han and Luke uh, put on Stormtrooper armor. Yeah, I think um, I think the natural Star Wars aesthetic of this of this spy esque movie will naturally shunts it away from being able to fall perfectly into a lot of the the more believable spy spy tropes and archetypes. We talked about how uh, Forrest Whitaker has gone to ground and is like you know quote unquote a hard man to meet. Uh, this idea of bringing Jin in to, to get through the door and at least get to talk to him, I'm giving that some really good plus five points on the on the Rebel Alliance. It's a good plan. Yeah, using a known associate to get close to someone who's definitely mentally unstable. Good idea. Very good idea. Um I'm not a hundred percent on on board with the way that they argue her into it. It feels like it was all bad cop and no good cop uh, in that situation. Um, here's another big one. This is actually gonna. Uh, there's there's a few things that are gonna feed into my number one best tradecraft of the film. This is one of them, which is that uh, uh, that one captain or whatever like pulls Andor aside and tells him like, hey. Everything you heard in there is bullshit. We're not here to get Galen out. You're going to fucking kill him if you get the chance. Uh, I like that as plus five points because of the compartmentalization of information. You know, Mon Mothma doesn't need to fucking get her hands dirty on this. Yeah, kind of like there's there's tiers of like who handles exactly what depth of dirty work in Mm -hmm. this organization, right? And like who's privy to like that information of how how dirty that work's getting just i'm trying Mom, to think, i'm just trying to remember it it's like so they're not aware right i'm just trying to think if i'm remembering it correctly they're not aware they don't know that it exists that the death star exists either until the until the jetta city right isn't that the first time that they're aware that the, th- the thing other than the fact that they're at first, you'd say that they're building something, right? But isn't that isn't the first that, time that they're aware that it already exists is when the the Jedi City thing happens? That lets them know that the Empire has a super weapon. It doesn't confirm for them that the weapon is a planet killer, right? That's true because yeah, it just takes out that. Because we can't. Also, like for uh, you know consistency purposes, we can't have the Death Star actually destroy any planets in this movie because we cannot rob the emotional impact of uh, the moment when they destroy Aldron in A New Hope. So we can't destroy any planets in this in this film with the Death Star. So I have a I have a good a good uh, scene spy spy scene uh, from the movie that I want your thoughts on, Todd. Let's go. Uh, Grand Marf Tarkin undercutting Krennic, like he, you could you could tell he's kind of he's kind of waiting in the wings and constantly like uh, kind of laying an atmosphere of of superiority to Krennic. And just in the very end, he uses Bodhi Rook's defection and leaking of information as a as a pretext to um, to take over the project for the for the Death Star. Right, like like even though they're on the same team, he's still looking to undercut him. 
I applaud. I applaud it. I think I would call that plus politics points instead of plus tradecraft points myself. Cool. Okay. But, yeah, that makes sense. But I do. I do love their interactions. Uh, very, very much. Yeah. Uh, Krennic. Krennic is just so. I love too. The Krennic character is also actually kind of a good nuanced villain in this one, you know, because we're so used to seeing the, uh, like the, the, the cream of the crop of the empire, you know, like Darth Vader, the empire, Moff Tarkin. And this guy Krennic is like, like his, his ambition, uh, you know, his, like he's got a char- he's got this character flaw that makes him that humanizes him in a way that we never get to see Tarkin or Vader. Well, I mean, obviously Vader gets humanized in the prequels, but never in the you know uh, in the in the first two movies at least. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, but he's kind of clueless in the, in the sense that, like, if you really if you really know the Emperor and and Vader, you you don't want an audience with them. Like, like he's all excited. Like he, that would have been like a right. Like, he's, no, I thought like, about that too. Look, look at what happened with the Vader audience. That didn't go well. You think that it was going to go better with the Emperor? Like it was like, so he's like he doesn't realize how lucky he is that he didn't get. I that Vader I had that- blew him off. Like Blair's like you're not gonna see that. Like he's <laughs> Vader did him a favor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had that listed. I had that listed, Lewis, as 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 one of my like you know shitty decisions of a character. He says that twice. He keeps telling. He keeps like he really wants to. Well, he yeah he wants to yeah he keeps saying he wants to see the emperor, not just that he wants to be tell the emperor about that. He wants an audience with it. Yeah, he keeps. Uh, but you're I'm right. Just like, it didn't go. It didn't go well. I'm just saying, based on how it didn't should, go well, he should have been rethinking, like wanting to see the emperor. But it's I don't know. It's like living went. living under the wing of the dragon. Like, are you just gonna cower, or are you gonna try to uh, get the dragon's favor? And Krennic is is aspiring. You know, he's he's got an ego. He wants he wants recognition. That's his fundamental character flaw. And all I just want to underline is that like this is one of the first times where our imperial villains are allowed to have this kind of nuance of having like a flaw that turns that becomes their downfall as opposed to just being fucking pure evil. Um, and of course, like it's absolutely has to be like the poetic justice that Krennic eventually is killed by his own fucking super weapon. Like he dies on that planet <laughs> along with everyone else, right? Has to be that yeah, way. Well put. There's no way. There's no other way that guy could meet his end. You can't just drop. You can't just do the usual thing of dropping him off a great height, you know, and have him go no. <laughs> like he has to be killed by his own fucking weapon. Yeah, poetic justice. Yeah, hundred percent. Sure. Yeah. I have a question for you, Todd. I got an answer you, for you, Nate. Yeah. Do you think that the uh, do you think that the transition in the film from the spycraft elements more in the earlier part to the much more warfare like uh, feeling of the end of the movie when they're on Scarif trying to get the plans? Do you think that's that's supposed to kind of highlight the rebellion's transition into this phase where they're trying to use like more spycraft and subterfuge to get back at the Empire into this phase where they're now transitioning into an aggressive war like front against the Empire? What? One thousand percent, one thousand percent. I think that's what this movie is about, or it wants to be about. 
is making the transition from uh like i said like the uh the team that joins them they're tired of they're tired of nibbling around the edges they want to take a swing yeah i i i think it's i think it's extremely intentional and i think like as uh, you know i i think i'm really looking forward to the andor tv series in a way that i haven't cared about anything that star wars has announced in a long time i am a hundred percent like gonna make the biggest bucket of popcorn and settle down with my roommate who's equally excited and when that shit comes on tv we're making a date and and we're doing it i'm gonna have to do the same with my star wars buddies for sure cool um now as much as i like the overall plan of using Jin to get in through the door on forest whitaker i'll just point out like the way they go about getting to Fort. I mean, they did say we know how to find him. That's not a problem, but how, if you look at it, how do they actually go about finding them? They go into the city and or make some inquiries and then some bullshit happens and they just get captured by the forest Whitaker people. Um, I, I would have in a, in a, in a better spy movie, I would have appreciated seeing more of the plan of like how we get from Alderaan to Forrest Whitaker's secret hideout, if that makes sense. Yeah, like a more specific game plan. Well, he shoots one of their guys, right? Didn't they? They made a plot that. That's what triggers it. They do a lot of great, like, little papering over of these things. And I, I appreciate it because it does move the story along really well. Uh, when Whitaker's guards do take them in, uh, they don't search the captives. They leave a ton of fucking equipment on them. I mean, you know, maybe they wouldn't have found Andor's little lockpicking uh, tool set that he's got in his boot. But uh, they just didn't seem, except for taking off their obvious weapons, they didn't seem to... What you, I mean... In counterpoint, what you should do is you should isolate those prisoners from one another and you should start interrogating them. You don't just throw them in a cell with all their equipment on them and then just like fucking leave them alone. Yeah, my in my head, I, I like to tell myself it's because uh, it's because Jin Jin knew Saw Gerrera and it and it lowered his guard from how he would usually treat people in the extremist manner. But in all in all reality i think you're right i think like you regardless think should, how close they are and then the further point do you think it should lower his guard enough for him to like have a private audience with her with none of his men around no but maybe maybe that draws to the fact that saw's so paranoid that he he trusts this this girl that he helped when she was a child more than he trusts his own men he does he does show big signs of paranoia so, I well, think he says, "Are you here to kill me?" Right? So he's yeah. he's, a, he's he's definitely uh, skeptical of why she's. Interestingly enough, though, even though he's like even 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 though he leads in with that, like like Todd said, he still he still has a private conversation with her. Like I, I wonder if even if she was there for that, if he would even really care, just because he has a very personal connection with her from his past, and maybe he just doesn't have much of that anymore. Hmm. Yeah. Um, 
But it like a lot of these things just like they click in like puzzle pieces to make the story work very well. Like the the fact that we we walk out of this scene with basically only her knowing what the contents of her father's message was, that's very important to the story. And I I feel like I can kind of see how they jiggered around to make that happen. Uh, including, you know, the fact that the, you know, interrogation of the pilot is supposed to like, kind of like wipe his memories some, I think that's like intentionally done because otherwise we would be left with all these questions of like, well, what were your instructions? How did Galen Urso convince you to defect? Like, did he tell, like, it feels like, uh, if you if you he take does away- say something to him. Remember, he that guy recounts it. He says he tells him that you can fix things or you can clean your past up, like if you're brave enough to like. Isn't that what he's saying that Galen told him? Yeah, I, I do remember something along the lines of Galen was always friendly to him and had reminded him that it's not too late to to make the right decision. Like it's never too yeah, late. Yeah, and Bodhi even time. says that he says that to, yeah to. To, to say it to Jen, or who he says it to somebody that yeah, Galen yeah, tells right. him he that he, he could still he could still make things right. Or I'm checking right now to see if there's multiple cuts of the movie because I don't remember that. I uh, I, I do think I have to depart at this point. Okay. Hey, dude, it's been a blast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Your discussion it's it's been great talking with you guys for a bit. Yeah, it was great, Nate. You get it. You had so much so much depth, so many good factoids, and so yeah, much man. perspective that we didn't that we didn't have. So that we, you definitely made the episode a lot better. I'm surprised that Jin is not angrier. Uh, like when she gets back to Yavin. Uh, I guess she's kind of figured out some way to forgive Andor for the fact that he was sent on a mission to kill her father. But like, why isn't she angrier at whoever gave those orders? That kind of got brushed under the rug a little bit, right? Well, she doesn't know. She doesn't know exactly who gave the orders, all right? Yeah. Well, I would be. I would be saying, "Who the fuck?" <laughs> you know. <laughs> I mean, it, it doesn't need to be part of the story. I'm just saying, like, you know, uh, a little bit of logic-wise, like, you know, uh, her her willingness to just go, like, now rah, rah, rah for the alliance that just tried to kill her father, like, it's 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 a little sus. Um, now, she, she assembles, she makes her speech, Obviously, the main alliance members are like, you know, how are we going to do this? Why should we listen to this little girl? But uh, they're going to take off in their in their little ship. Um, I'm surprised there's no scramble of X-Wings or any rebel patrols flying around Yavin that would like shoot this shoot this ship down. Um, However. Mon Mothma. Do we know do uh, do we know who Mon Mothma is? Refresh my memory. She is seen first in uh, Return of the Jedi, 
she's a lady in white, an older woman in white robes that kind of gives them the breakdown about the, the second Death Star. Her, her most famous line is like, many Bothans died to get us this information. Yeah, okay, I remember. And she's and she plays the main. She plays the guy, the woman that's talking to um, when she's saying, uh, "You'll need somebody that you can trust." And then he says, "Yeah, I trust her with my life. Is that that woman?" Exactly, exactly. So she kind of seems to be like kind of the leader of the council of the alliance, but not so much the leader that, like, you know, when everyone votes, like she's more of a, um, I don't know, a moderator. You know what I mean? Like, she's not the president of the alliance. She's just like, she's the one that makes the decision like, okay, the vote has been cast and you didn't have enough votes, so fuck you. Um, But yeah, but that's exactly what I wanted to talk about next was uh, like, okay, so Mon Mothma now, now Rogue One is on its way and this is when she conspires with Jimmy Smits to get Obi-Wan out of retirement and on the job. You guys with me? Yeah, I'm she wondering. says your friend. Yeah, she says your your Jedi friend. Right, and and clearly he's talking about Obi Wan. So now I don't know if Mon Mothma knows who Obi Wan is. She just knows that she has a friend that has a friend who is like a retired Jedi, and she's like talking to Jimmy Smith's like, um. We need to get that that retired Jedi friend of yours on the job. And I'm not sure how Leia fits in on the plan. I don't know if Leia knows Obi-Wan. That's a little confusing to me, but this is what I do like. I like that Mon Mothma is playing multiple angles here. I'm giving that some plus five points, and this is going to feed into my number one best tradecraft of the film. Um, You guys can see me, right? Somehow yeah. when... Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, she's playing multiple angles. This is, uh, again, compartmentalization of information. Like, she's she's going to let the Rogue One thing go its own way, but she's also going to make another play that, like, in case this goes bad. Like, she's she's doing stuff. Um, I gotta say... Okay, so... I'm cool with the idea that Smits is positioning Leia because remember Smits is like the uh, an Aldron big big dude or something like that. Mon Mothma is like if this shit works out, we got to get someone that we can trust to get the final plans to Obi Wan, and she doesn't even know who that is. Smits knows again compartmentalization of information. Nobody exactly knows, you know, so if anyone gets captured or interrogated, uh, it'll all be cool. But this is my biggest problem with this movie and with the way I agree. This movie does a great job of tying it all in. But what do they do once they get the Death Star plans? What do they do with it? All right, Lewis, you're up. What do they do is the, the moment they get them? Yeah. You mean the moment the uh, I think the thing with the that woman, what's her name? Mon. Mon I don't think 
isn't that right before they even know that they're going to do that mission? Isn't that right after the vote? And she's just saying in general, we need people on our side because she knows they're yeah. going to go to war. This is before they know that yep. that Rogue One mission is going to happen. Yeah. Well, she knows. She knows there's going to be she war. Kn- she's talking about, but that hasn't happened. That that that's right after the they. She, she knows. That, she knows that somebody went after the plans. She doesn't know if they'll succeed, and she's not willing to support that plan. But. Oh, I don't thought She's she didn't know that scene. yet. I thought that was before the scene with the soldiers come up and say, we want to join the cause. I thought that was a scene right before that scene. But okay, maybe but I'm not after, remembering it. After that, after Rogue One takes off without orders, she makes some, a side deal with Jimmy Smits. And what, what I'm trying to say, what, where I'm trying to get to is that leads to when Leia gets the plans at the very end of this movie... Where does she go? You should know this. It's a very simple question because this is the story of the very first movie that you ever saw. Oh, you're talking about, yeah, uh, yeah. You're talking. I thought you meant in Rogue One. They don't. They, that's just the end. You, I thought. I was like, my dad didn't. I, I know what. Yeah, I know what happens. She gives him to the R two D two. But I'm saying like, but that I thought you were saying what happens in Rogue One. That's just the end of Rogue One when she gets the plans, and that's. All right, hold on, hold on though. The plan wasn't the plan wasn't to give them to R two D two. The plan was to get them to Obi Wan Kenobi, right? Well, yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. But through, okay, yeah, through R two D two. Right. Well, that was a contingency plan. That was because they they were fucked, and you know they they couldn't get to Obi Wan. But the main plan was to get the plans, this the Death Star plans to Obi Wan. My big question: Why? Why are you taking the plans to a fucking backwater desert planet to a a retired Jedi that you think might be there? Why are you not just taking those plans to Yavin? Why are you not heading uh, straight toward the rebel fleet? That is going to be my number one worst tradecraft to this movie. But do we really know that though? Couldn't, couldn't, doesn't in the star Wars, she does that after the, She's doing that after the ship's been boarded, so maybe that is like a contingency, just the the Obi Wan thing, right? So what I want to interrogate is what was the original plan? I understand there's contingencies and they have to adapt and they have to change their plans, and that's why the whole New Hope story ha- happens. But I am putting a big question mark on their original plan of heading straight toward Obi-Wan Kenobi with the Death Star plans. I don't think that's the right move. So I'm just gonna I'm I'm just gonna roll over to uh final impressions and star rating. Uh I think I've already made my case. I don't need to make it again. This is my single favorite Star Wars movie. Uh I think it's got the best story. I think it's got the best visuals. I think it's got the best characters. Uh, despite the fact that other movies do have some elements that are superior to what we see here, uh, this movie is the one that I find the most rewatchable. I'm going to give it a solid four out of five. That I can totally agree with. (laughs) I could could take your guys' star ratings overall. I'll give it a three and a half. Just like it, right. it is in real, reality, three and a half episode, episode three and a half, three and a half stars. All right. I'll go and with then, four uh, like Todd. And then, yes, this might be uh, 
uh, just so you guys listening to me read down my list, but I'll just give my top three worst and best trade craft for the film because that is just part of what we do on this show. Worst trade craft, uh, although I really like the plan of uh, using Jin to to get into uh, Forrest Whitaker's camp, uh, the way they go about it is just completely hand-handed. They just bumble around until they get captured. It's whatever. Uh, number two, I didn't like the way uh, Forrest Whitaker's guards treated their new captives. They didn't isolate them. They didn't thoroughly search them. And they let this new agent into a room alone with Forrest Whitaker. That's bad tradecraft. Also, at any point, at any point, even though I get it that I get it that Andor has reasons to distrust uh, her father's motivations for sending out the pilot. There's no discussion about it. There's no attempt to try to figure out what his thinking was. Like, so, you know, if you if you don't believe that he's sending out a message to help, you still gotta realize, like, he's sending out a message for some reason. There's no interrogation of that. Um, and my number one, which I just discussed... Uh, it seems like it seems like at, by the end of this movie, once we have the plans in hand, we're gonna run to Tatooine. Uh, I can think of a lot better places to go, but we are like we already know what happened in A New Hope, so it just has to fit in with that. I'm just saying, like, uh, as much as this movie does a great job of retconning stuff and making stuff fit, this one still sticks out like a sore thumb to me I would rather them take the plans to the rebel fleet or to Yavin I think they probably were supposed to be they just happen to be I mean they get caught right and they're and where they get caught is happens to be over Tatooine I, I always thought it was just that like they're clearly like were they weren't stopping in the movie they weren't they were trying to keep get away that and then they just get caught so I don't I don't think that was their plan to. They just—that's just where they got caught. But you had the Mon Mothma scene with Jimmy Smits, where it looks like that—that that was their plan. Like that's the part that where they—I think they tried to retcon it too hard. You know, like at that point, it does look to me like the plan is to get it into the hands of Leia, so that she can get it into the hands of Obi Wan, and I don't think that makes sense. And I'll just, I'll just, I'll just land on that. Hacking my best tradecraft. The overall, the rebel plan for Jin of getting in the door. That's great. Number two, the way. Okay, I mentioned before. I actually wish I had gotten to talk about this more. I didn't, but like the idea of hacking droids. Like droids are interesting in a sci-fi uh, spy story because, like, if they're hackable, that means like. You're, the droid that you trust is that's living in your house or maybe doing jobs for you or something could be a fucking spy camera for you. You don't fucking know. Like, if they're hackable, 
And then there's a whole weird thing I wanted to talk about. Nate would probably fucking super geek out with me over like 20 minutes about this, about the restraining bolts and like maybe like why uh, droids are like so dismissed. Like, you know, we don't serve their kind. Uh, you know, we don't want them around. But um, it's super interesting to think about the fact that a droid could be hacked and become, uh, you know, uh, like, that could be an ultimate, ultimate secret agent. I'll just point out here, my number two best tradecraft. There's a moment where K2. So, uh, has hacked into another, uh, droid of his same make and model, uh, to get info about the layout at the base. That was good for me. My number one best tradecraft of the film. It, I, I'm taking from at least three sources here, but the compartmentalization of information is very, is actually surprisingly good in this film. Uh, the fact that Andor is the only one that knows that the, the plan is assassination, not retrieval, right? He's, he's they're They're keeping other people out of the loop on that. Um, the fact they didn't tell Andor that the X-Wings were going to come in and attack uh, the base again, compartmentalization and uh, playing playing multiple angles. Finally, the one I talked about most recently, Mon Mothma talking to Jimmy Smits, making separate plans aside from the alliance. They don't maybe need to know about because like maybe things will go this way, maybe things will go that way. We got it covered, you know. If if we set up these uh, these backup plans, however. I am, uh, as, as much as that's the best tradecraft I can find in this film, and my justification for why this is a spy film, uh, let me go real quick and, and just compare it to some other things. I know I'm going to give it a better Park Bench rating than Spy Kids. This is a better movie than that. Did you do those movies, Top? Spy Kids? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was on that. One. I was on that episode. I I did Spy Kids with you guys. That was one of our two, or no, three. We have three point five park bench ratings. Uh, this is higher. <laughs> this is higher than that. Uh, up in our ones, we got Spies Like Us, The Man Who Knew Too Little. I think I'd go higher from that. Uh, 1.5 is Get Smart. You guys both guessed it on that. So you guys could yep. give me an opinion. Do you think this is a better spy movie than Get Smart? Oh, by magnitudes of order. <laughs> of course. It's I think so. Up, even though, even though Get Smart movie. is like way more traditional spy, like Get Smart is like in the vein of obviously spy everything, but. This was so much of a better quality movie. So much of a Lewis, better. Lewis, Lewis, do you concur with that? I mean, I mean, that's a better movie, but there's a lot more spy stuff going on, of course, in in Get Smart. But I'm saying, but if that's you what you're so. asking, okay. that is what I'm asking. Oh, you think, there, you think there's more spy stuff? I don't know. I think the spy stuff in Get Smart is pretty fucking silly. But there's more it's of it. It's silly, happening. but if you're, yeah, just, I was just gonna you're, say it's more silly. of it. But if you're just saying like, is there more? Yeah, okay, there is more in Get Smart, but I think there is. I think, yeah. 
Like he shoots a little tiny microfiber thread out. <laughs> like he's got spy gadgets. <laughs> like, like that's you know, yeah, that's. All right, let me. All right, so I think it's going to come down to between a one point five and a two. Uh, let me describe a two for you guys and ask you if you if you have a frame of reference for this. Uh, uh, have either of you seen the television show Star Trek: Deep Space Nine? Oh, I've probably just seen a like few. a half of an episode or something, or one episode Dude, one I'm, time, long I'm time ago. Same. I'm the same. Oh, okay. yeah. All right. Was that the one well, with the guy with the guy with the big ears? Quark or it, whatever. There, there, yeah, there is a guy with yeah. Quark yeah. definitely has has big and ears. Whoopi Goldberg. She's not in uh, Deep Space Nine. No. Oh, which one was uh, she in? Next uh, generation. Next generation. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think I can jack it up to a two, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna use my bully pulpit as as the most ex- more experienced. Per- and also, besides, this is my fucking podcast. I get the final vote, but I do appreciate your guys' input. I'm calling this one a two. I think this tradecraft all you, in this one <laughs> is all at you, least man. equal. It is at least equal to the tradecraft in uh, uh, Deep Space Nine. That is a show. Thank you guys so much for participating. Thanks. Happy to happy to help out, oh, dude. I always have. Thanks to come for on having me. Spies, but I your your podcast. Thank you so much for having me. But I am definitely sorry. I underestimated my recall on on that. Sorry about that, Thanks. man. I hope that didn't harsh your vibe. Don't, don't sweat it, dude. You more than made up for it by bringing that fucking. Devil so you don't have. So you don't have total on. recall. See, now nah, that's a reference to another episode. <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah. And that's the end of our show. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can find us on Twitter at spies underscore like us. Visit us on our website at www.spieslikeus.net. You know, find out about upcoming episodes. Also, what will really help us out is if you give us a review on wherever you found our podcast, either on iTunes or your Android app or YouTube or wherever you listen to us. Uh, even if you didn't like the show, just give us a review. It'll help us give us feedback so we can make the show better. And it can also help other people who haven't found the show yet find out about us. Hey, Moira, initiate Protocol 9. Protocol 9 initiated. This podcast will self-destruct in 20 seconds. The preceding transmission sampled the songs Ice Cold by Audio Nautics, Enter the Party by Kevin McLeod, and sound effects from freesound.org. Attributions and links are found at spieslikeus.net. Editing by Todd Hostetler.